viewers, comic fans, Chris, are you ready? Um, for what? Are you ready for this Sunday, Sunday, Sunday? As an entire army of spider heroes takes on a team of Victorian-themed space vampires in a no-holds-barred smackdown of epic proportions? Uh-oh. I see what you're doing. Wait, isn't this kind of my... You're going to be thrilled and chilled as this all-out war hits its opening salvos. You won't be able to believe your eyes. My, my eyes? Christy, we do an audio-only... Well, we're bringing it to you right now as we head in. We sell you the whole Spider-Verse, but you only need the edge of it. Oh, haha. Well, before we let the silliness go on too much more, are you ready? For a battle the likes of which the world has never seen? No, Christy. Are you ready to talk about comics? Oh, oh, yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earth. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our second Spider-Verse episode, where we are covering the Edge of Spider-Verse. Right. Now, this means specifically the miniseries Edge of Spider-Verse, not the last four issues that we covered in our last podcast that still kind of had, like, the subheading of Edge of Spider-Verse. Um, when I was talking this through with Christy, it was honestly even too confusing for me to explain, but that's kind of the way it's going. This isn't, like, absolutely an essential tie-in to Spider-Verse, whereas in general we are covering the really essential tie-ins. But it's essential because it introduces uh, a couple of, like, really cool Spider characters and one who's, like, an absolute breakout star. Right. It it was a really enjoyable five issues. Right, even though they all are varied in tone. Now, these issues don't follow one another. It's not like a miniseries that is one issue after another through the same story. No, this is, a, this is an anthology series. Something where everything is a different spider character. So, issue one, one spider character. So, each one is kind of a complete story. Which means if you really wanted to, you don't really have to read every issue. Before we get any further into this discussion. I want to talk about something awesome we have coming up. Um, Halloween. Yes. But besides that, you know, we get in the the spirit of of thankfulness in the month of November. And what do we have to be thankful for? Friends. Friends. And specifically the acts of friendship. Right. The acts of friendship crossover is an exciting podcast crossover between us, Chris's on Infinite Earths, WMQ&A, Battle of the Atom, The Young Ones, Multiversal Q, and Play Comics. Yes, you got all six. (laughs) So um, we're going to have a fantastic lineup, and Chris's, I believe, should be the first episode in the crossover that you will hear. Yes. uh, November 9th. I think also the one that's being recorded first, to be honest. But yeah, November 9th, the first part of the crossover is going to come out. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you can expect two episodes a week? Yes. Mm -hmm. So ours comes out on a Friday. The next week is two episodes, then two episodes, then two episodes. And 
two episodes, two episodes, and then the, the then a one, then one on a Sunday. Right. So I mean, I guess technically starting with that, ours, depending on when you end your week, you I, it's whatever. We've got six awesome episodes that'll be coming out in November. Right. And uh, for those of you who like the podcast, Jay and Miles explain the X Men. Jay Edidin is also going to be joining one of the podcasts as a guest. Mm-hmm. So um, that's going to be really exciting. Yes. So crossovers being our thing, definitely going to be a lot of fun. Yes. Crossing over with other podcasts. We've gone very meta. <laughs> so meta. So now that uh, now that we talked about that awesome bit of news that you've probably already seen on Twitter, and plus we previewed with our trailer last episode, we can get into our summary. Summary. Edge of Spider-Verse number one. Written by David Hine and Fabrice Sapolsky. Penciled, inked, and colored by Richard Isanove. Lettered by Clayton Coles. Edited by Nick Lowe. This issue is actually a direct follow-up to the last Spider-Man noir comic, but we can try to power through. Anyway, this Peter Parker exists in 1939 and got Spider-Totem powers from a mysterious spider statue filled with spiders, which endowed him with powers from the Akan Folklorical Anansi. Kinda problematic, but otherwise that's his deal. Anyway, this story involves Spider-Man taking the bait after the magician Mysterio kidnaps his former love Felicia Hardy and challenges Spider-Man to a blood sacrifice. See, Mysterio wants Spider-Man's blood so he can become the new kingpin of crime. Spider-Man is forced to take the bait and become a part of Mysterio's creepy show, but he manages to make a quick escape after having to part with a vial of his blood. Before he can finish things, though, our old buddy Karn appears to kill Peter. Superior Spider-Man also arrives to save Noir Pete and yank him through a portal to 2099. However, in all the confusion, Felicia Hardy snags a vial of blood. Edge of Spider-Verse number 2 Written by Jason Latour, penciled and inked by Robbie Rodriguez, colored by Rico Renzi, lettered by Clayton Cowles, and edited by Nick Lowe. In Earth-65, Peter Parker didn't become Spider-Man, and Gwen Stacy did not die. In fact, kind of the opposite happened. Gwen became the very cool Spider-Woman, or perhaps you've heard of Spider-Gwen, while Peter became the Lizard and unfortunately died in a battle with Gwen. Well, unfortunately, this battle branded Gwen public enemy number one, which ultimately means she is constantly hunted by her father, police captain George Stacy. But also because it's very teenaged, Gwen is in an all-female punk band called the Mary Janes as they work towards the Battle of the Bands. The pressure of her double life plays havoc on Gwen, however, who almost misses the battle due to being chased by police as Spider-Woman. Meanwhile, the Kingpin has sent his lawyer, Matt Murdock, to meet with thug Alexei Sistevich with the task of killing George Stacy, which would also help Spider-Woman, theoretically. Gwen shows up late to the concert, already attended by her father. Before much longer, though, Alexei shows up to fight George, and Gwen intercedes as Spider-Woman, defeating the large goon. George confronts the disguised Spider-Woman who takes off her mask to reveal that she wears the mask to assume responsibility for her powers. Her father tells her to go instead of arresting her, all watched by our old friend, Spider-UK. Edge of Spider-Verse number three, 
Written, penciled, inked, and colored by Dustin Weaver. Lettered by Clayton Cowles. Edited by Nick Lowe. In this very different world of Earth 31411, Spider-Man is brilliant molecular biologist Aaron Aikman, who has inserted cloned spider DNA into his genome to gain superpowers. He defends the city against all threats, including the strange Namura, a supervillain who claims that creatures from a dark door will consume the Spider-Man. Aikman's only relationship seems to be with his boss, roboticist Kaori Ikagami, a scientist who tried to cure her daughter's coma after a terrible car accident. Aikman confronted Ikagami about losing herself in the hopeless cause, which made a rift between them until now. After a tearful attempted reunion that simply reignited the old rift, and a battle with a villain who seemed very much like the robotic Namura, Aikman confronts Ikagami. She found a way to bring her daughter out of a coma, but also began to do her bidding. Her daughter is Namura, and she has been using the machinery that Ikagami builds to infect more people with these interdimensional beings who are now attacking the city. However, before Spider-Man can stop them, he comes face to face with the aforementioned Dark Door monster, Morloon, who ends the issue by consuming Aikman. Edge of Spider-Verse number 4, written by Clay McLeod Chapman, penciled and inked by Elia Bonetti, colored by Veronica Gandini, lettered by Clayton Cowles, and edited by Devin Lewis, Ellie Pyle, and Nick Lowe. In Earth 51412, a much darker Earth, we join the creepy and malicious Patton Parnell as he does such disturbing acts as killing ants with a magnifying glass and spying on his neighbor Sarah Jane as she changes. Ew. Patton is picked on at school by Sarah's boyfriend, Gene, while also being abused at home by his uncle, Ted. While visiting the Alcorp Industries laboratory, Sarah Jane grabs Patton to help her bring to light Alcorp's experiments on animals. During said adventure, Patton is bitten by a radioactive spider before the duo are caught by security, who let them off after a light reprimand. At night, however, Patton feels ill and finds that the only thing that seems to quench his hunger is a live mouse. Patton also begins to eat other animals as food, including attacking his uncle Ted and challenging Jean to a fight at lunch. That evening, Sarah Jane asks Patton about Jean's whereabouts, and Patton kisses her before growing fangs and biting her neck. Sarah Jane fights back, only to discover Uncle Ted tied to a bed while bodies of animals and people are suspended above Patton's bed. Patton starts to mutate into a horrible spider monster as hundreds of baby spiders emerge from Uncle Ted. Sarah Jane only barely escapes as her old pal Morloon arrives to fight and absorb the life force of Patton. The next day, Sarah Jane is convinced it wasn't real, but then baby spiders begin to emerge from the bite on her neck. Edge of Spider-Verse number 5, written by Gerard Way, penciled and inked by Jake Wyatt, colored by Ian Herring, lettered by Clayton Cowles, edited by Nick Lowe and Ellie Pyle. 
On Earth-14512, Penny Parker defends the city from evil as SPDR, which is herself in a robotic suit genetically bonded to a spider that is part of the suit's CPU. See, the spider itself is bonded to her genetics, which she inherited from her father after he died in an unfortunate explosion. So SPDR is a bit of a family affair. It's kinda out there. Anyway, five years after bonding with SPDR, 14-year-old Penny fights this weird fanboy Mysterio before teaming up with this reality's Daredevil to fight a gang of illegal biological enhancers. Penny asks Daredevil about her dad since she didn't know him at all. Daredevil talks about how even though he seemed cold and sad, he was also pretty cool and would have liked Penny very much. Penny laments the never-ending job of fighting crime to Daredevil, talking about how noisy it all is. Daredevil tells her to be the good kind of noise. On her way home, she is confronted by Peter Porker, the anthropomorphic pig hero Spider-Ham, as well as Old Man Spider, who drop a little bit of exposition about this entire crossover to her. She explains her situation before grabbing her suit. Spider-Ham asks if it makes much noise, and she replies, the good kind, before joining them. Alright, so... What did you think of these issues? Or do we want to start, go one by one? Um, well, I liked issue one all right, and I loved issue two. And issue three was fine, and issue four was fine, and issue five was great. That's generally how I feel about it. Yeah, I feel fairly similar. I don't think any of them were bad. No. I think we have more critiques of a couple of them, though. Yeah, and we'll get to those. So let's start with tackling uh, number one, the Noor. Right. So um, in, if you aren't aware what film noir is, film noir is <laughs> here. Chris here going to turn my seat around backwards and tell you about film noir in 10 seconds. So it, it's it was kind of like cinema in the 30s and probably early 40s. Sure. Um, things like Casablanca and the Maltese Falcon, those kind of like hard boiled detective stories that took place in black and white and. In a dark night and the city gives up its secrets and, you know, things like that. Kind of the jazzy sort of ensemble. I jump in, but this is just too entertaining (laughs) to watch. (laughs) Film noir is just people going and then just narrating themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So there was an initiative when I got into comics, eh, maybe it was like a year or so later, um, called Marvel Noir, where they did a whole bunch of these. They did Spider-Man Noir and X-Men Noir and eventually Luke Cage Noir. And I think even I'm probably a daredevil. Um, But anyway, I think Spider-Man Noir ended up becoming the most popular one. I'm not sure why, because I don't remember the first bit of Spider-Man Noir being particularly good. So, I mean, I don't think it was bad. I just I didn't really get me. So it's interesting that it's kind of kept going. Like there's been an additional miniseries and then this series or this little one shot as well. Mm hmm. Otherwise, it really seems like this Peter Parker is pretty much exactly like our Peter Parker, just transported to the 30s, at least in personality, appearance. This is very similar to the guy that we know. Yeah. He has an Aunt May. Yes. He's got a girlfriend named Mary Jane, who apparently fought in the Spanish Civil War against the fascists. Yeah, that she seems like she's got some intense backstory there that I want to know more about. Right. And I don't actually don't think it goes into it very much. I, I think even in the previous miniseries, it was just like, oh, she's leaving. Mm. But maybe I'm wrong. It you, made Mary you, Jane... got, you gotta love when comics, like, give gifts 
Like we talk about that like when you're doing like improv and acting. You always want to you always want to give gifts. You always want to set up things for another person to build off on. And I feel like that's a that's a really great gift there. But yeah, people say that um comic book writer, well, like Grant Morrison is supposed to give some gifts, but then he also like completely destroys some characters and that you like can never use them again. So it's a little bit a little bit of both. But this one is totally like a there could be a mini series about this. Mhm. Yeah. Um but like his his outfit is one of my favorite Spider-Man outfits though. Like the the black mm-hmm. and the kind of trench coat. Right. He carries a revolver because he's a hard-boiled detective type. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um it's also kind of great. So Mysterio is the bad guy in this one. So Mysterio in in like the 616 and Earth 616 is mm-hmm. a movie special effects guy who uses his special effects to do supervillain stuff. Uh-huh. Whereas this guy is like a Houdini. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of fun. He and his uh, partner, his female partner, because all magicians have like a, you know, their their female assistant. Yes, it's part of the, the bait and switch, right? It's like, look at the pretty lady while I... While I do, while I fool you. Right. Well, they apparently traveled to the deepest reaches of wherever and discovered some sort of, sort of uh, hypnotic gas that just tricks all of their audience members into seeing whatever they suggest is there. Yeah. So Spider-Man Noir tries to be really pulpy and is also like very problematic at times. Like he gets his powers from like an African folklore figure. Yeah, which I I feel like is very representative of the time of film noir. It is. Like that is like that is totally like a thing like the like unknown jungles of Africa, but it's it's odd when you use it now. Right. Cuz it's like we know better. Right. I mean, but it it's it's evoking a time period. Like I, you know, yeah, I wonder if there's a way you could I think there's a way you could do it without sort of leaning into colonialist tropes. I mean, I think it's I think it's aware of what it's doing, right? And it also is like this guy gets this hypnotic gas from like from some faraway land, which again is very like very Western centric. You know, I I think there's more problematic things in comics, and I think I'm I think I'm maybe okay with this because for me it very set very much sets the feel and the tone and well, sure for like Western consumers, I guess that's true. Yeah, I mean, noir is definitely like. Of a certain time and a certain eye. Uh, I'm not going to try to like make excuses for this. But I feel like this. even like modern movies you sometimes that are set in like the same time period. Oh, sure. Like the movie The Mummy is like very much kind of that way. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just pointing it out. Right. Yeah. No, I, I definitely see where it can become. It's just drawing the line of when does it? I mean, does it does it cross the line between setting the tone and then and being problematic? Is I don't know. It I guess it's a little bit of personal discretion. Sure, it is what it is. It's just the way he got his powers. Um, they're gonna lampshade this a little bit in the crossover later. I think Peter Parker from Noir ends up saying something insensitive because he's a man from the thirties. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. But the, yeah, this whole this whole story was it was kind of it kind of felt short. Like it, it kind of just had some really quick beats of like, here's Mysterio, here's Mysterio and the Kingpin who go and go to go to Felicia Hardy who has like a messed up face from a previous encounter you know, with a foe of Spider Man. So she wears this like white mask, mm-hmm. but it also seems like she is like somewhat unhinged. 
she it seems like she's been through some stuff. Yeah, she's she's very traumatized, which is very different than from than the sort of like sultry, sure of herself Felicia Hardy of the Earth Six One Six, who is very much like a always flirting with Spider Man. I feel like she's Catwoman, but like flirtier Catwoman is like maybe a good way to describe yeah, Black yeah. Cat. Um, but yeah, so she's kind of she is ultimately kind of used as a prop in this story, though, in that she's kidnapped. The Mysterio is like Spider Man. I have Miss. I've got your girl. Right. Come save her but at like, tonight's show. Everybody thinks it's like kayfabe, right? They just think it's part of the show. And Spider Man shows up, and they're like, "Cool, he's part of the show." Weird that this guy's getting blood drawn on a stage. Like right. at that point, he, I think the because Fisk wants blood from Spider Man for I don't for some sort of nefarious purpose. But Mysterio wants to just take it to like get the powers, right? Right. Oh yeah, you're right. No, it's Mysterio that wants the blood, and Fisk just wants Spider Man dead. Right. Just yeah. wants him out. So Spider Man does this this neato little thing. Where he is... He escapes the uh, tank of water. Well, it doesn't really escape the tank of he, water, but he, he survives it. He revs up his it. face. Yeah, which, I don't know, realistically, could you save enough oxygen in there to make it ten minutes? Maybe? Ten minutes seems iffy to me. Yeah. Unless the the air pocket... Well, I guess I don't know enough how air pockets work underwater. Because I'm wondering if, if your CO2 could just be expelled into the water. No, that doesn't make sense. I think you'd you'd have some struggles. Right. So, but yeah, he manages to survive the uh, supposed trick that he wasn't supposed to survive. Right. And then this is the moment where I remembered, oh, that's right. This is like a Spider-Verse story because Karn just shows up. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our friend with the fork. He's got a fork and a diving helmet. Yes. Maybe with his diving helmet, he was just coming to save Peter Parker. Yeah. Part of me almost wonders with the diving helmet, it so much fits the film noir, that the spider, Spider-Man spider noir, that, like, was this costume designed just with this issue in mind? Because oh. it feels like it very much fits in here, whereas it's it so does. out of place everywhere else. He's real Poseidon-y. He's got a fork, and he's got a helmet, but no, he just is trying to, he's come for murder. And he seems, like, a little, like, a little baffled, <laughs> just on a stage. I love how these inheritors just show up kind of whenever. Right? Like, I'm just trying to imagine, like, a Spider-Man, like, on the toilet and an inheritor just shows up. It'd be rough. <laughs> yeah, but they seem to show up at these very tense, climactic moments. Very much so. They never seem to just, like, it's never, like, Spider-Man going, all right, I've got my plans for tonight and herk. And they're always, like, in costume and stuff, too. It's never, like, just waltzing up to Peter Parker. Well, except for one of the crossovers a little bit later. Okay. So, I will stand corrected. But mostly, yeah, they're in costume. Mm-hmm. But yeah, ultimately, this one was it was pretty good. Um, I liked the art. Um, some of the old Spider-Man noirs were black and white, mm-hmm. and this one's in color. But I wonder because there's, if you remember right, there's a film reel at the v- beginning where it's talking about like Spider-Man's defeated another gangster, but how long can he like remain in a in a society? Do, do they still need the Spider-Man? And I wonder if that's supposed to be like moving on from Spider-Man, so almost like moving on from black and white and becoming Technicolor. Oh, I like that. That's I a... don't know if that's what they meant, but in my mind, that's why they were doing it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's yeah, it's like it's a technically good comic. I don't think it's egregious. It didn't like wow me too much or anything. I thought it was fun. Yeah, it's fun. Mm-hmm. There some fun bits of dialogue in there with Aunt May and stuff talking about Salvador Dali. Yeah, she and... just doesn't get it. She's not mm-hmm. into it. Mm-mm. That's not art. 
no, it was kind of fun. The art style was definitely very uh, film esque. Yeah, it um, yeah, it kind of looked like an old movie one mm-hmm. way or the other. The way it was inked and everything. Yeah. Right. Do you think Felicia Hardy is going to become spider a, a Spider Man after this? Well, she's got the blood. Who knows what she's going to do with it? Talking about leaving gifts, like the right? Spider Man Noir series right? can continue. Great gift giving. Great gift giving. All right. Well, I feel like but all of these these little one shot issues are just full of like there there there's so many stories just waiting to be told with all of these characters that are just yanked out of the story to go on this other adventure. Right. To some extent, it's kind of frustrating because you want to see like a a nice conclusion. But we are like, like blindsided at every turn by like being thrown into the crossover, mm-hmm. which to some extent, this is why some people really hate crossovers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are definitely, I mean, sometimes reading runs of things that I'm like, oh, wait, this is the crossover issue. I'm just going to skip that one. Right. That was like Civil War too. Like everything but Spider-Woman was kind of bad. Yeah. I, like it just seemed like like they just they couldn't figure out what to do with it. I mean, everybody I'm sure involved was a technically good writer. Well, you want to go on to the ultimate gift giving, which is Edge of yes. Spider-Verse 2? Yes, we've got Spider-Gwen. Yeah, the introduction of Spider-Gwen, who um, has a new comic starting next week as of this recording by Seanan McGuire who uh, is someone who corresponds a little bit on a chat that I'm in. She's very cool. But Spider-Gwen's been going, like, as a character since then. Like, many, many issues. Oh, yeah. I So, I love me reading this issue not realizing that this was her, uh, Spider-Gwen's debut, because it totally felt like it was picking up right in the middle of something and gives you this beautiful, like, two-page spread little recap of this story that actually hasn't been told yet yeah it like if you had nothing nothing to do with this comic before you you just jump in you have nothing before nothing since you're like oh this is like they're doing the jim shooter style of comic book editing where every comic is someone's first comic and they're just letting me know what's going on right after all this has happened so it seems like this issue well this issue sort of like almost like cheats a story, but it's not cheating. Like it's like it's it's brilliant. amazing storytelling. Um, because as we'll talk about with one of the other issues, like the, these writers are like introducing to us in a lot of these like brand new characters, and we want them to feel like I mean, we don't want it to be the very beginning of their story because that's a little little boring. You want to feel like you're immersed in like a world, and this does a great job of immersing you in the world of the story without hitting you over the head with it. Right. Like, within these 22 pages, you feel like you are getting, like, a gigantic slice of Gwen's life. Right. It's like, becomes Spider- or Spider-Woman, like, loses Peter after Peter's, like, kind of, like, jealous of her having powers and tries to get powers himself and becomes the lizard. Like, mm-hmm. antagonism with her father. You already know there's this, like, inner turmoil because it's her dad who's this the police captain mm-hmm. and she is secretly Spider-Woman. Right. Which is a more interesting conflict I feel like than you can even do with Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Where you, when when people don't know who Spider-Man is, it's people who he loves, who he's close to, not necessarily people who are set against him and are also that close. Right. Like the people who who he really doesn't want to know that he's Spider-Man are not like his family, whereas Gwen's dad is the police captain. It's it it's so cool, and it makes you it makes you just want to read like tons of this. 
Right. Which, you know, people then did. Yeah. And you can. <laughs> um, so in the 616, uh, for those of you who don't know, Gwen Stacy died. And a lot of people, it was, a lot of people were not thrilled about it because it seemed like they just kind of killed her off for, for angst purposes. Yes. She was like the more boring girl in Peter's life compared to Mary Jane. So she died. This was after her father, Captain Stacy, also died. Mm-hmm. So this is the this is the literal opposite world. <laughs> right. The two of them are alive and Peter is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane are friends and they're in a band called the Mary Janes. But Mary Jane just goes by MJ in this. Right. Because she's cool. She's very cool. It's very punk rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very femme punk, which is fun. Yes. Um, I kind of like how they, they portray music in this comic too, where the lyrics are like very like bold and angry, like written into the art. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's very well done. I love, I loved the whole feel of the comic, the, the way the music played into it, uh, the dynamics of the story and the relation, like there was only one relationship that was super key in this and that, that was between Gwen and her dad. Um, but we also had, you know, some of the side relationships with Gwen and the band. And you see her kind of like now that her life's gotten a little bit more real, she's not quite as invested in the band as she used to be, which is great because it gives us a sense of her past and present all at once. Right. Um, but you can tell that that's like that's like kind of her that's like her tether to real life. Mm-hmm. And she ultimately feels pretty pretty awful that she's constantly letting her friends down because music is pretty seems pretty important to her there's there's these cool scenes where she's swinging and she has earbuds in yes on the costume and the before we go too much further this costume is awesome yes this is exactly what you what you want to design for like a young like young woman hero you don't have anything that's like weirdly skin tight you don't have like a tiny mini skirt Nothing that sexualizes her. She's got this kind of cool hood thing going on. It is, it is great. Mm-hmm. And it's this, I think part of the reason that this, this character and this comic have such an appeal is, well, first of all, because of the craft regarding this particular issue, but also like just her look, like that's something that a lot of. She looks cool. She looks cool. And I feel she like does, a lot. She doesn't have to look like sexy. She just looks cool right and i feel and like powerful lo- yeah and a lot of young people probably see that and they're like that's a that's a cool hero mm-hmm. it's like how i feel like a lot of people didn't get into 616 spider woman until she got her cool redo. yes yes it's, it just that. shows yeah. <laughs> it just shows it just shows the importance of things like this when people complain about oh what's wrong with the old costume or what's wrong with the old way of doing things and it's well you're you're missing out on people who would read it otherwise mm-hmm. and you're missing out on cool yeah it's very cool <laughs> um so i liked that matt murdoch in this is a mob lawyer right right i had to do like a triple like quadruple and there was like wait murdoch he's no no is this a different chris are you sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think i even looked it up on the wiki just to be certain <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, the rhino, who's Alexei Sistevich, is not the rhino. He's just Alexei Sistevich. But he looks kind of rhino-esque. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. R- Robbie Rodriguez makes him kind of like this bulbous, large dude. Huge. Yeah. If I had one nitpick about this comic, it would be that I don't understand why they have to say, hey, we're going to take out Captain Stacy and also it'll help Spider-Woman. I felt like that was added in an, in like a strange kind of way. Like, why would the villains care if it helps Spider-Woman? Well... 
don't the villains, I mean, people don't really know where Gwen Stacy stands at this point. Nope, you're right. They think, oh, like, she's she's a vigilante, like... But... She's killed this boy. That's right. Everybody wants her. Everybody thinks she's evil and, well, not, like, evil, but that she's, not that she's a hero. She hasn't developed that as her brand yet. Right. That's true. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. I, again, I think I was, this comic implied a lot that in my head, she was a superhero for a, for like a long time doing heroics. Whereas I think you're right in that this is still more of the like, who is Spider-Woman? Mm-hmm. Like she's developed the power, like in her little intro, isn't she like seen on TV doing some sort of like tricks and stuff or something like that. Like not, she's not shown doing a lot of heroic work right? in the backstory. So she's kind of different though, as in Peter Parker as Spider-Man initially used his powers for financial gain. Mm -hmm. Whereas Gwen just seems to use her powers to just kind of hang out and like almost goof off. I mean, it may have been some financial gain going on TV and stuff. She may have gotten some money from that. Oh, true. I mean, I don't know. This I haven't read a lot of, or I haven't read any any Spider Gwen beyond this, aside yeah. from the stuff that she's been in for this crossover. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I'm I'm wondering if they're trying to if they're trying to build a contrast or build like a a very similar story. I think it's implied that she before this like felt like she had a responsibility, but she was really galvanized by Peter's death. No, no, no. She put on the mask to take away responsibility for her actions. That's so right. she could do what she wanted to and have fun and she was wearing a mask so it didn't come back to her. Right. But yeah, after after Peter's death, she felt like she needs to she needed to take on responsibility right. for herself because her actions had consequences that she didn't like. It was a it was a just a it was a really fun issue of comics. It was really great. Uh, and I love I love the ending of her getting well, I guess not end I it's pretty much the end. There's the ending, a little bit afterwards. Yeah, it's it's the climax of the issue. Mm-hmm. Her um, being cornered and confronted by her father and they'd had a conversation earlier about um she was trying to pick her her major she'd been really into her music and but hadn't really picked a major and he's like well sometimes it's not about what you want sometimes it's about what the world needs from you what does the world need from you mm-hmm. and so she brings this line back to her father of sometimes it's not what we want it's what what the world needs and she shows that she takes off her mask and shows herself to her dad like this is what the world needs from me right now right and this doesn't seem to quite sideline like or like uh spider-man noir where you actually don't feel like you get a resolution of the story this story is resolved and then you see spider-man uk just going well you do you do quite nicely (laughs) chris doing a terrible uk accent (laughs) He's just like chilling out there in the shadows. Are you sure Spider UK is not a little bit more posh than that? Uh, well, it's Captain Britain, so yeah, he's probably like very posh because mm-hmm. Brian Braddock's like old money, right? I don't think he, I don't think his name's Brian Braddock though. Spider UK, I could be wrong. But mm-hmm. um, are we ready to move on to issue three? I've, yeah, these are probably not getting quite as much in depth conversation as we could, but we do have five of them, right? So issue three is the one that's all like completely done by Dustin Weaver. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get kind of like the tech noir Spider-Man. 
which is Aaron Aikman. Mm-hmm. He gives himself powers with his molecular biology knowledge, which I'm I'm almost there, Christy. <sighs> you know, we could be a super family. Mm-hmm. We could be our own version of the Incredibles. Yep, I'm. I'm. Re- or readers, if you don't remember, I am a, a molecular biologist too. So this was kind of neato. <laughs> um, the art was wonderful for this issue. The art was very well done. I would have loved to have seen more of the art and less of the text. It is. It is heavily written. We'll say, readers. If if our gripe with this issue is one thing, it's that this is a somewhat overwritten comic. And I think the hardest part about it was that in my reading, it came right after Spider-Gwen, which was such a beautifully done backstory in like, you know, two pages, we get the cliff notes, everything we need to know. Whereas I feel like for the whole first half of this issue, we are getting the backstory narrated to us. And I think that to Dustin Weaver's credit, that's supposed to evoke kind of an old school way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like when Stanley wrote comics, there was there were a lot of words. It takes me probably two or three times as long to read a Stanley comic as it does to even read a comic from the seventies or eighties. That that's true. Even our like first readings of um, Crisis and Secret Wars. Secret Wars. Thank you. Uh, Crisis and Secret Wars took longer to read because they were more wordy. There was more jam packed into everything. Right. And maybe it's just in comparison to sort of the decompression of modern comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of this there, was just so much. Some of it, you just looked at the page and you were just like, your eyes just hurt like, oh. Now, it was kind of cute that they did some almost like this is some entries in the Marvel handbook. Like they had pictures of some of his villains mm-hmm. with like their strength ratings and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then there was just like gobs and gobs. And I feel like all narration. three of these first issues had some bits where we saw like newspaper headlines and and things where you could read more about things that had happened. I feel like that was um, used between all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it was, I really liked the story itself and the world that he was trying to create and the story that he was trying to tell. Yeah, this definitely was, it was, it was creepy in a tech way Mm -hmm. since Nomura is like a, technological kind of ghost in the machine that comes through and you know um possesses uh ikigami's daughter mm-hmm. it, yes plus it has the what always pulls at my heartstring child in trouble mm-hmm. like you know parent whose daughter is you know in a coma after an accident doing anything possible to try and revive daughter and i'm like you know if i was smart and sciencey that way uh, I'd be right there with you. I feel like I would have have a very hard time letting go. So I had a lot of empathy there, which I really liked. That drew me in somewhat to the story. Um, but it was just a little clunky in the storytelling to me. And Aaron has like a like absolutely no personality, which I think is supposed to be part of the personality. He's not a very personable person. He's very smart, um, incredibly like built, buff. Like seems like a attractive dude very able and it seems like he's supposed to have an aloofness but it's not like an endearing aloofness like not like you see with some of like the more brilliant types in comics um yes he's not like a beast for example mm -hmm. he's not he's not sarcastic and no he's just very matter of fact and somewhat cold and brilliant 
But it's ne- it never is portrayed really as a flaw. It's just kind of like, there it is. Like, he's still able to, like, speak with people when he needs to, and they're not like, wow, you're, like, off-putting. Right. But he has, like, a a moment with with one of the peop- one of the nurses or doctors at the hospital um, after, after he, he's mm-hmm. taken down. Um, apparently, people had been going missing all throughout the city. So he's taken out what he thought was Nomura. Uh, but is really one of the people that was missing in some sort of robotic suit. And the doctor is asking him about the robotic suit. And he's like, well, that's not really my area of expertise. And she's like, oh, since when are you modest about anything? <laughs> like, Right. Um, visually very striking comic. Mm-hmm. Some of my favorite pages were the ones with like kind of almost a painted-y style. Mm-hmm. Painted-y. That's a word we're using now. This is a painted-y <laughs> style. Alex Ross, it was, famed cover artist, paintedy, is <laughs> very beautiful. The design of the kind of the costume, the robot costume. I really dug it, and I didn't dig it on the cover. I feel like it had to be in motion. There's a really cool two-page spread where it's moving like in profile. Yeah, I That's love how cool. like any angle you look at the like the head, the helmet of it, it looks like there's eyes all over it, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun and and spidery in its own way. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. I liked the design of Nomura. I thought Nomura was quite creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, since it basically looked like a... Ro- it, I mean, it, it really did evoke, like, robot clinging to, like, human husk. Mm-hmm. So I think that was that was visually pretty effective. we had some creepy effective. pages of all of, like, the robot-possessed people just climbing through the city that was very creepy. Right. But ultimately, like, this is it. Like, we will never see these characters ever again. Yeah. Not only did... Like, Aikman's not going to be in Spider-Verse. Aikman was killed by Morlun at the end of this comic. Mm -hmm. And then... So, um, readers and Christy, do you remember how we talked about how worlds were dying in the last episode? And that's why Spider-UK has to do all this by himself. Mm -hmm. Because Opaluna Saturnine does not care. Yeah, yeah. This world gets, like, demolished soon. Oh, yeah, because it said, uh, more than it says this world is dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't get that's what that meant. Um, it's, he says that, but it's also, it's like explicitly stated in like a Secret Wars files little like, like, it's like a comic that has like just a bunch of information in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So kind of inconsequential, ultimately. Mm-hmm. I really thought that this character would have been an interesting addition to Spider-Verse. And it would have been interesting to see him bump with the other spiders. Yeah, interact more with... Because we didn't get him interacting with a lot of people aside from, like, his former um, partner slash lover slash... Boss. Boss. Yeah, that's really it. I mean, and then, like, some, some, pat, some like, standers by. Right. Because, again, there's actually not a ton of interaction in this comic, like we said earlier. Yeah, like, I feel like his relationships and his character aren't developed. Yeah, not not too much now. It, this is a this is kind of an idea comic. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's it's like a it's almost like an elevator pitch in comic book form, right? Um, and I think it yeah I think it could have maybe been explored a little bit more. I think it could have done less and more simultaneously. simultaneously. Yeah, probably true. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, we... this is very interesting for me to read in that um, so far with the comics that we've covered in the podcast that I've really critiqued and everything things have pretty much they've pretty much been good comics or we've had a couple of kind of not great stories and it's been more critique of the stories rather than the storytelling and some critiques of the art but this is like the first time i think i've read a comic and really been able 
to critique the storytelling in a meaningful way, which was just kind of an I don't, I don't know that this is interesting to anybody but me and my own personal comic reading development. But I'm like, oh, I, you know, I'm I'm getting things more. Well, there's a lot of moving parts to comics. And sometimes sometimes you can innately feel what you don't, that you that there's something that you don't like about a comic. But it sometimes it takes a little bit to sort of figure out what it is. To articulate it. Whereas, like, reading this comic, like, sometimes there's been comics I'm like, no, I just don't enjoy, enjoy this. I don't, I don't like it. And you can just say, I don't like it. But I could articulate more about what I didn't like. And I thought that was, I was very proud of myself. Because I pretty much just read comics that I like that are told in the way that I like. I don't, I guess I don't try a lot of new things. You almost kind of curate comics for me. You're like, this is good. You will probably like this. And I'm like, yes, I do like this. Thank you. More. I don't really buy bad comics either. Yeah. Or at least I'd really try not to. Granted, like everything's subjective, but Mm -hmm. it's pretty rare that I buy like a comic that nobody likes. Right. So there's that. Well, I'm proud of you too. I think that (laughs) it's, I think it's, uh, I, I've leveled up. I've yep. earned a new badge. Yep. You can now train level 20 Pokemons. Yes. Do we want to move on to the creepy one? Yes. Oh, this is perfect to talk about with Halloween coming up. Yep. This is, uh, we're latching onto this for our Halloween episode, I guess, because of this. We don't have anything else coming up before Halloween, so why not? <laughs> this is our spooky comic. I loved the cover. I'm trying to think back. To, I've got to look at the cover again. I mean, there was some stuff that creeped me out about this comic it very much looks like a horror comic uh kind of old school the cover oh yeah the, it's the cover like... doesn't look at all like the comic itself no it's very different whereas um i think a lot of the other bits of edge of spider verse it was pretty tonally consistent this mm-hmm. one is trying to trying to hook you with this it's almost like a sketchy kind of style on the on the front yeah and then it's this like Inside, it's a very like realistic style. Yeah, does not seem to be very superhero-y. No, yeah, definitely not. It's which a lot of people love to do with horror because you don't make any character seem particularly heroic or anything. It reminds me of that that vision run that I read. Oh, and it's a it's a, a I'm pretty bit. sure it's a different artist. Uh, yeah, just that just that hyper real. Oh. Almost like the realism is a little bit off-putting. Yeah. It. And in this one, I feel like it especially was. Uh-huh. Very intentionally so. Like like people's teeth and stuff. Ugh. I don't know. I know that's weird. Um, so this guy, I am so glad that this version of Spider-Man was not named Peter Parker. So I don't ever have to associate it. Because he, <laughs> he is a super creep. Oh my gosh. Just like the worst. The worst sort of, oh, yeah. Like, he keeps oh. saying, like, experiment number two, like, subject, blah, 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 when he... While he's burning ants. While he's burning ants. Fine glass. When he's peeping on Sarah Jane, I think he calls her, like, somewhat of, like, a subject. Right. When he's, like, peeping on her. It's real weird when he's by himself. And then when he's with Sarah Jane, who is, like, kind of spunky and vivacious not unlike mary jane in the 616 in fact she's she's pretty much mary jane but like she's even has like a slightly darker twist but also like a kind of fun activist twist i don't know Mm -hmm. but he's like completely clams up when she's actually like paying attention to him but he is such a creep when she is oh yeah not yeah like whereas sometimes you get like the endearing he's kind of a loner nobody likes him like 
nobody likes him because he's weird. He's real. He's like beginnings of serial killer, like weird. Oh, definitely. And it's it's supposed to be it's supposed to be portrayed as a result of his really rough home life. Right. Where his Uncle Ted, again, very glad not Uncle Ben, because Uncle Ben is a sweet soul, and we all love him, like, abuses him heavily. It's, yes. It's really rough. Yes. Um, This is, like, content-wise, I think this is the most upsetting comic. Yes. Oh, definitely. Um, Even the last one, which, like, things were, there were things that were kind of body horror-y. This, like, is body horror and abuse and just creepy character. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, yeah, he's watching the girl next door getting undressed or dressed one of the two through binoculars yeah and it's it's a little stereotypical like we really want you to know this guy's a serious is like a serial killer in training yeah right so he gets bit by a spider that i think is supposed to be different than the spider that bites peter parker like a different species yeah a different species and they've been doing like radioactive testing on it right well that's not unlike yes yes um but uh they've uh he's been brought into this by sarah jane who wants to like free the animals from yeah testing. like save save the bunnies from testing yes whereas of course Patton is drawn to the spider because you know he he likes to kill small things yeah so he calls it a subject and then promptly gets bitten by it right and his transformation's like really painful after he goes home that night i love that the people like the security guard people are just kind of like, nah, you're good. <laughs> you can just go home, whatever. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But he, his transformation's like weird and creepy. And then his uncle Ted abuses him. And then he wakes up later and is hungry and just like eats a rat. Yeah. And then he's like suddenly like Mr. Kind of Cool Guy. But also. He's wearing sunglasses instead of regular glasses. And then he's also like Mr. Murdery. Like all the, okay. like the neighborhood pets disappear. Again. This seems very much like, right. hey, this is a horror movie. If you didn't get it, here's a hammer. I'm going to bash you over oh, yeah. the head with yeah. the fact that this is horror. And his Uncle Ted even said, you know, like, are you experimenting on the, the neighborhood pets again? So it's not even like he he wasn't doing creepy things to the pets beforehand. He's now just eating them, too. Right. Um, he also ends up, he webs up Uncle Ted. Mm-hmm. And then you don't know what happens for a bit. Because this does a lot of, like, something happens cut away. Something happens cut away. Right. Like, he's he challenges Gene to a fight because he's super strong now. Because he's still, mm-hmm. he still has, like, basically Spider-Man powers. Also, like, a random kid on the way home from school. Who, the kid lost his pet because Patton ate the pet. And he's like, nah, come with me, buddy. I got your pet. And it is very heavily, imp- no, I think you see that kid webbed up, like, fully. Yes. Hanging from the ceiling. You don't ever see Gene, if I recall. Oh, yeah, maybe not. But it is implied heavily that yeah. he is, he has been killed. Yes. By Patton, who is a real creep. <sighs> but he also, like, it, it it does a little bit of foreshadowing where he talks about, like, some some spiders, like, transfer oh, well, he, their eggs in bites. Yeah, no, he, he Googles the spider that bit him. Oh, right. He cert- yeah, and it's like, oh, this... This spider, you know, trans the females transfer its eggs or through its bite and ugh. right. And then uh, when Sarah Jane comes to look for him after Gene's Sarah- gone, yeah, Sarah Jane wants hey, like, hey, you were the last person seen with Gene, and nobody's seen him since. Right, Gene is kind of supposed to be like the Flash Thompson analog. He's also more of a jerk than Flash, though. Mm-hmm. He's like pretty malicious, 
everything's just a, like a twinge darker in this universe. Oh, yeah. And by the time Sarah Jane gets attacked by Patton and like bitten and everything and Uncle Ted's like exploded with spiders in a gross way, it's almost like a relief to see Morlin. Yes. You're like, oh, my gosh, this because by this point he start, um Patton really starts like he grows some extra sets of arms, creepy eyes all over. He's basically he's turning into a huge life size spider. Which does happen in certain other Spider-Man stories. I don't know if this happened in the comics, but in the cartoon series, at one point, poor Spider-Man keeps mutating and kind of like turns into a spider monster. And he manages to get cured, but it's real rough. Uh, But he doesn't do anything this creepy. (laughs) Right. Um, And so Morlun kills him. We all like wipe our brow in relief. And then we get the, the, the little stinger. Um, yeah, Sarah Jane looks like she's just come out of the shower, has a towel on, and is checking out this bite on her neck that Patton left. And she's thinking maybe it's a dream because it's just too weird. Mm-hmm. And then like spiders start crawling out, very much like the old um, urban legend of getting a spider bite on your cheek and then spiders erupting out mm-hmm. of it. Oh yes, the, we had readers. We had this whole discussion about all these different urban legends where you know animals like have or insects have like laid eggs in people in hair and ears whatever and have come out and just been terrifying uh and <laughs> yeah it's a whole bunch it's it's rough but the, yeah the the if the only com- this this was a pretty good comic if the only complaint that i had to levy at it would be that it is like it doesn't really break any new molds it's very much like if spider-man was was like some John Carpenter stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like all the beats that you expect. Like nothing's really a surprise. No. Except for maybe Morlin at the end. But, you know, we've been reading these. So I was like, okay, when's Morlin going to show up? But I, I think the thing that's really creepy about it is just how much it evokes like a character we so much love. Yeah. I think that's the twist on the... I mean, because it gives you the classic story, like classic horror story style even but it's just unset the more unsettling thing is the characters we feel like they should be yeah i think seeing them in that way by itself this story would be inconsequential and probably not very good but the fact that it's a twist on on a beloved tale yes is yeah i mean yeah i think you nailed you nailed it christy i think Mm -hmm. you hit it right on the head thank you (laughs) i'm getting better at this (laughs) (laughs) we got level two christy over here I <sighs> wonder what NPCs I get to talk to at this level. <laughs> Tomorrow morning, you're just going to find me with, with uh, like, making coffee. And you're going to be like, hi, Chris. And I'm be like, Mondays, huh? And then you're going to talk to me again. And I'm like, coffee's almost done. And you're going to talk to me again. And I'm going to say, Mondays, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and you've got to get something done before I say different dialogue options. Right, right. Yeah. And then I'm going to come back and you're, you're still going to be making coffee. But then you're... Then you're going to tell me about, uh, um, oh, I don't know. Now I just keep thinking about mo- tomorrow's Monday and I have to go back to work. <laughs> I've ruined everything. Oh, oh. No, I'd come back and you'd you'd say, oh, that's a nice outfit you're wearing. <laughs> yeah, because you can't have coffee till you get dressed. <laughs> no, not... you can't get dressed till you have coffee. I think it. Oh, yeah. sure, sure, sure. It's n- nice out. You know, I've gone and I've picked out my wardrobe. That was the next step of this level. <laughs> We've gone on such a weird tangent. <laughs> Let's go on to edge number five, which is the Marvel debut of Gerard Way, 
who, if you don't know Gerard Way, was the lead singer of the very popular amongst Chris and uh, Chris adjacent folks in the mid 2000s uh, band My Chemical Romance. Yeah, we can include Christy in the. Oh, you liked My Chemical Romance? Uh, well, too. the Christy adjacent folks. I don't. They they weren't like they were definitely beloved by people that I liked, and they were you know close enough to stuff that I really liked that I enjoyed them. Uh-huh. Like I. I'd always sing along. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm not okay comes on and you you have to sing along. Right. This just makes me really mad at Gerard Way. He's a rock star. Uh-huh. How is he also so freaking good at comics? You know, it's like all the reasons that you get mad at me. I'm just so good <laughs> at so many things. I'm like, married how... to Lady Gerard Way. <laughs> uh, uh. You're just going to pick up a guitar next week and just start shredding on it. Uh, no, never going to happen. I've tried so many times in my life to learn how to play guitar. Granted, it's always been an acoustic guitar, and they just hurt my fingers. I've got poor, like, and plus I have to keep my nails short to yeah, play. you do not like doing that. No, I don't. I'm like, maybe I would have been able to learn on an electric guitar, because it's a little less force you have to use on the yeah, strings. That's fair. Yeah. I'm sorry that you are... It was very sad when I had to break up with my guitar instructor in high school. Not, like, literally break up, but I was just like, it's gonna be my last lesson. I feel like I'm really not getting any better. And he's like, what? No, you're great. You're like, my only student that practices. I'm like, yeah, I'm st- still not feeling it. <laughs> Oh, that poor instructor. Whereas I kept out the drums, just like Gwen Stacy. Yeah. Yes. Oh, we'd have the best band. I guess. (laughs) Well, anyway, (laughs) this is the first time I read this some years ago. I was really confused, but I think on the reread, it just really hit me. This is Neon Genesis Evangelion Spider-Man. It has a teenager who has to pilot a robot. And has a lot of angst involved with that, but she's not quite as whiny as the main character of Neon Genesis. Now, you you already, before we started recording, reminded me about, and I can't even say the name of it now, Neon Genesis. Evangelion. Yes. Talk to our readers about what that is. Okay, so Neon Genesis Evangelion is a, is a big robot anime, mm-hmm. um, but it ends up getting really deep into philosophy, but it's also a lot about teenagers have to pilot the robots for a somewhat nebulous reason like only 14 year olds can and it it was kind of supposed to play on the fact that like in some giant robot animes like 14 year olds are like let's go into combat this is rad Mm -hmm. and it's like actually this is should be incredibly terrifying and traumatic so that's kind of the whole deal with neon genesis and this seems like a bit of a play on that style Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can tell that penny has has had a bit of like a stunted emotional growth as a result of being forced into combat at a young age i feel like like. nine nine yeah so the whole deal is her as we explained is her dad dies but this the little spider is still intact the spider is so it's like there are several parts to the spdr suit there's the Mm -hmm. robotic suit and i think we need to point out how spdr is spelled that we have two uh, little slashes in the name so it looks like you know, kind of like spider with two eyes. Right. It's a robot suit. It looks like maybe like 10 feet tall. Mm-hmm. And this, there's a genetic spider that's a real spider mm-hmm. that is part of the suit, like part of the CPU or something. Yes. And it has to bite you. And it has then, to pick you and bite you. And then and you, you have to accept the bite. You have to accept the bite. And then you get genetically bonded to the spider and thus the robot. And then you fight crime in it. 
Mm-hmm. It's well, probably the weirdest concept in, in all of these stories. Right, right. Except this suit, since it was already bonded to Penny Parker's dad, it had to be bonded to somebody with a similar genetic right. makeup, which meant it had to pass down to her that nobody else could pilot this suit. Yes. And um, this is explained by her aunt. Aunt May and Uncle Ben, which are definitely not her aunt and uncle. It seems like they are just, like, handlers. Right. Who just kind of take on those personas. Mm-hmm. And she has, like, a whole command center that helps her out. Like, people wearing, like, weird yeah, helmets. Yeah, like, she seems like a, sa- a state-sponsored police force, basically. Which is, again, very Evangelion. They mm-hmm. have, like, a whole command center and right. everything. So in no way a vigilante here. Like, she gets excused from class to go fight crime. Right. Uh, she hangs out with this this version of Daredevil, which I guess is like government operative Daredevil, but he doesn't, he's not like super weird. He's a little more armored, mm-hmm. but still seems pretty Daredevil-y. And the, it's so sweet. The entire time they're busting up crime and this art is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just asking Daredevil about her dad because she, because he, I guess once he was picked for the suit or whatever, just never saw her. It was like, that was just kind of that. Or... Actually, I guess never saw her period. So, And it's never really explained why. No. Yeah. He just didn't see her. And so she's just really interested in him because she didn't get to know him. Um, I hate to bring this back, but in Neon Genesis, the main character also, his dad is the head of the program mm-hmm. and like does not talk to him. Right. Um, it's a little different, though. It, this is kind of a gentler one because it, it's implied that um, her father probably would have really liked her. And just never got a chance. Whereas in Neon Genesis, this kid's father, like, seems to very much hate him. Mm. Um, Yeah. It's a very, very sort of melancholy story. Yeah. It's also kind of blending, like, fan culture in a little bit of a way. Mm -hmm. Like, when she fights Mysterio, who, like, flies around in this, like, eyeball-shaped craft. Yeah. Which is wild. It kind of looks like, it kind of looks like a weird alien. Again, Neon Genesis. Sorry. Um... (laughs) She, like, busts him up, and then he's like, have you heard of me? Like, do you, like, I've got, like, posters on my wall of, of, of you. Like, he's, like, a big fan. Yes. But almost, like, in a rock star way. Mm-hmm. And... Maybe this comes from, like, some personal Gerard Way experience. God, I hope not. Poor Gerard. But I'm sure he got some weird fans at some point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I wish that was explored just ever so slightly more. Mm-hmm. But it does, it, there's a big theme of music, you know. If you're going to be noise, be the good kind. Mm-hmm. Let's, I think, what is it? Like the last words is like, let's jam or let's rock or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Readers, you, you'll be happy if you like this at all. Penny Parker was recently in another one shot that's um, part of Edge of Spider-Geddon, which is going on like right now. It's literally like the sequel to Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. I would honestly love a Penny Parker comic. I think she's super cool. She's going to be in the movie coming up. Her design's a little different, though. She looks kind of more chibi anime hmm. as opposed to just... This is this kind of evokes an anime style, but... Yes, it's, it's definitely. Not, it's not like... They're not like super, super strange looking. They're not like real little... They, I think they right. turned these as super deformed. They have um, fairly realistic proportions. Yeah. This one might have been my favorite. It's hard to pick between this one and two. Oh, two for me. Definitely. Okay. Because I just, I absolutely loved this one. It it just like, it hit all the crisp buttons. And two is just my style of story. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I like that, that Penny never had to encounter one of these spider vampires. 
They just yeah. found her first. And she is so great. They're just like, hey, come with us. We have to go save the universe. And she's like, I'll go get my suit. Like, needs nothing. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, her, her like, whole preteen life has been her being used by others. Right. So she kind of, like, doesn't know any other way other, to, other than to help. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a pretty good point. Mm-hmm. So can I say even with you know, the comics that I was warmer on or lukewarm on some others or kind of on. I really liked these as like a little, a little bouquet of stories. An amuse-bouche? Yeah. Like, you know, you, we went to a tasting of stories. We got a flight of stories. Yeah. Just a little bit of everything. Yeah. It is kind of fun when comics are able to do that and not, and not like throw out any stinkers. Like, yeah, we're pretty, we were pretty critical of number three, but I didn't like hate that I read it or anything. No. I thought it was still, it was, that it was still pretty enjoyable for what it was. I just, you know, we're here to kind of critique a little bit. So that's right. what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this was pretty good, especially since we're now going to delve into like seven parts all in a row. This was a, this was pretty, this was new for us. We never had any, uh, any sort of stories like this. Yeah. The one shot. So that was kind of neat. I think they were an important an important start to Spider-Verse, though, because it's just kind of introducing you to there's going to be an absolute ton of characters that can be imagined using this sort of base formula. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the, the two spiders that we have come. We didn't mention them. The rest of Penny. Oh, yeah. We have uh, Spider-Ham, Peter mm-hmm. Porker, who is an anthropomorphic pig who's in a spider outfit. And then we have Old Man Spider, who is... He kind of wears like a spider jacket, almost like a Mm -hmm. high neck jacket. And it's revealed who he is later. So I'm not going to say it right now, but he is, (laughs) he is kind of a, kind of a veteran Uh Spider-Man. And they just kind of take her for what she is too. And are like, well, all right, let's go. And she does not seem to be bothered by the fact that an anthropomorphic pig is talking to her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do we want to go on to accolades? Yeah. Accolades. All right, Chris, so what is your best line? So my best line comes from Edge of Spider-Verse number four, and it's when Patton Parnell is lunging at his Uncle Ted, and he says, if you've taught me anything, Uncle Ted, it's that with great power comes a great appetite. <laughs> it's kind of just a, it's, it's goofy a little bit. It's a play on the, the formula of great power. Right. Comes great responsibility, and it just really fits the tone in a fun way. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of campy and fun. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas mine, I I know you gave me gave me this one because I mentioned oh that I liked it, but I didn't want to pick it because I thought for sure you'd pick it. Mm-hmm. So you let me have this one, which thanks. Mine is Edge of Spider Verse number five, uh, and it's as uh, Penny is being grabbed by the two other spiders, um, and they're they're like in awe at her suit and peter porker spider hand asks does that thing make a lot of noise Mm -hmm. about her suit and she says yeah the good kind and it was it's just like an awesome end to the comic yeah um it was a great end to the miniseries too though you were very much like ready for spider verse yeah yeah after that line Mm -hmm. which is kind of sweet so do we want to go on to greatest hero yeah greatest hero so i'm gonna call penny parker as the greatest hero daily double because that poor girl gave up her whole entire life to be a spider a spider hero and bond with this suit 
And she also, like, when her she meets these new people who are like, hey, you need to help us out, she is just like, yep, let's do this. And I I feel for her, because I think she she sacrificed more than anything else in, in a way that is probably very unfair. Yes. I, absolutely. Those are the same reasons <laughs> that I picked her. I have the page picked out where she's in, like, this test room, and she's been talking with the kind of Aunt May, Uncle Ben characters, and then the panels go red. Like, there's a red flashing light, so the panels alternate, like, the regular coloring and then the red coloring, and they're talking about, like, the spider having been released, and it will likely have found you now, and he'll bite you if if you let him. And then, like, just these tense moments of her there, and then we just see her reacting to this bite, like, she's let it, she's chosen this, mm-hmm. the whole, it will bite you if you let it. So it was just very much, like, yes, it was thrust upon her, but she accepted it. Yep. And it's very not fair for a nine-year-old. <laughs> no, absolutely. Oh, it just makes you sad. Mm-hmm. What's your greatest moment, Christy? My coolest moment. Coolest moment. My mm. coolest moment. I loved uh, the end of uh, Spider-Gwen, where she unmasks herself to her dad, which a lot of times I choose really fun, splashy art pa- panels and big action-y moments. But to me, that was such a great awesome climactic moment of like rather than how am I going to get out of this one it's just I'm going to show myself to my dad and take responsibility for what I've done we got another daily double yeah that was mine too (laughs) uh just when literally like the mask reveal over a couple panels Uh uh-huh it was so good it was like it was it was like a a distilled spider-man like I know she's spider-woman but I mean Mm -hmm. it's just it's very much like a like this is like why I like spider-man comics like moments like this. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm Out definitely of five comics. I'm definitely glad I told you what my uh, best line was going to be cuz otherwise we'd have like three daily doubles in a row. Oh, I know. Well, what's your silly villainy? Let's see if we would be 4 for 4. Uh-huh. <laughs> So my silly villainy, well, why don't you tell me yours? Because I kind of had a tie, so I can differentiate if need be. And I'll let you know if one of mine would have been a Daily Double. So the silly villainy king of this entire crossover so far is my man Karn, who just shows up in Edge of Spider-Verse 1 on a stage and is like, gotta kill a Spider-Man now, but I totally look like I'm just part of the show. And everybody's like, yep, totally. He just looks so goofy. Anytime he shows up at anything, I just can't take him seriously. Okay, okay. Well, I'm going to go with then. I thought you might have picked uh, Mysterio. Oh, which Mysterio? In Edge of Spider-Verse number five. Oh, the one with the... The, the fan? Fanboy Mysterio. Fanboy. Specifically the panel where he's all beaten up and bloody. And he's like, did you ever get the mix disc I made you? Yeah. (laughs) Does he also know that she's like a teenage girl and that's weird behavior? Yeah. Maybe not, though, if you're in the suit. Mm -hmm. Did you want to know my second choice? What was your second choice? My second choice uh, was actually a Patton. And the... He is kind of a villain. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely is. And it's when uh, Sarah Jane, like, emerges into his room and sees all of his, like cocoony things not cocoony things i don't know what you call the little pods that spiders spin they're all webbed up webbed up dudes uncle ted on the bed and he says i love you sarah jane i have always loved you i've never had a girl in my room before sorry for the mess oh yeah that's so much (laughs) 
that I never have had a girl in my room before. You're like, ugh. It's so, like, it's so tropey and so cringy, and just the fact that it's, you know, creepy Spider-Man saying this is just like, oh. You feel like you, the writer was like, like, looks around really pleased with himself. Yeah. Yeah, it was not a woman that wrote this, but I feel like any woman could have just written this from her personal experiences. <laughs> this is this is not that different than <laughs> than just some of the guys that I've encountered. Oh jeez. Well, we are that's kind of wrapping up this uh this week's Chris's on Infinite Earths. Yeah. Now next week we are not going to be talking about Spider-Verse. We are going to be well next week. In two weeks, we are going to be doing our first Acts of Friendship episode. Oh my gosh. Is that really already the next one? Yeah, it's the 21st right now. So the end of the week will be the 25th, then the 2nd, then the 9th. Oh my gosh, you're right. So our next episode will be Acts of Friendship, which means, no, you you will hear from, I will not be on the Chris's episode of Acts of Friendship. You will find me on The Young Ones. So I think you will hear me again on Chris's, maybe before the Young Ones. Yes, because you will get a Chris's on the 16th, which I believe is before the Young Ones episode comes mm-hmm. out. So you'll hear from me like in a month and then get get another little bit of me on the Young Ones. Yeah, we're actually having a lot of interruptions for this Spider-Verse one. There's going to be another one that I don't think we're ready to announce yet, but we have some exciting oh, I'm stuff. I'm so, so excited about that one. Yes. But anyway, you'll hear me, you'll hear Dan Grote from WMQ&A, you'll hear Luke from Multiversal Q, and you'll hear Charlie from The Young Ones. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking crossovers, talking our favorite crossovers. Um, We're going to be doing accolades for our favorite crossovers, so accolades are going to come from left field. Um, (laughs) It'll be fun. Well, if you'd like to get a hold of us... You can do so at chrisisoninfiniteearths at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at chrisispod or Facebook us at chrisispod. Mm-hmm. And if you rate us on iTunes or on Facebook or give us a review, we will shout you out on the show where we love those five-star reviews and we'd love to shout you out. Right. This was an absolutely fun episode. I loved uh, covering Edge of Spider-Verse with you, Christy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I loved it too, sweetheart. <laughs> I, I love talking about comics with you. People are unsubscribing. <laughs> going (laughs) and until next time slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours